Good to see each one here today. Let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8. The theme of the book of Romans is justification by faith. But it also describes for us what happens when a person is justified by faith. And the things that we have to deal with, which we call the flesh, the flesh is the enemy of the soul. The flesh is not good. The flesh is a challenge for all of us. And it puts us in a state of spiritual warfare. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, what are the next three words? Okay, cannot please God. There are three enemies of the Christian that hinder us in our Christian walk. They are, according to the Bible, the world, the flesh, and the devil. All three are part of what we call spiritual warfare. They are the challenge of every Christian that we have to deal with. But today, or this morning, we're going to deal with the middle one, and that is the enemy of the flesh. There is a comic strip uh, by Pogo that years ago he wrote, we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. And we are, the, through the flesh, in a constant battle, and we are in ourselves the, the greatest enemy that we have. I read of a preacher that uh, in the South, you know, there's a, often a lot of gossip and complaining about the preacher and struggles and conflicts and so on. And the preacher announced Sunday morning, tonight I will be revealing the person that causes the most problems in our church. And it created a stir. People were interested to know who is the preacher going to mention, but he's going to mention him by name. And of course, he came to the service and announced that the biggest problem in the church was his flesh and your flesh. And so that is the challenge of every Christian. As not to take anything for granted, we're going to do our best to try to define what is the flesh. What does that really mean? Now we have flesh that covers our bones and inward parts. It's not referring to that kind of flesh, not a physical uh, flesh. But 
Man was created in intellectual and moral likeness. There's an element of morality in man that does not exist in any other aspect of creation. But through sin, man fell from that relationship. He, he was no longer sinless. Up until man sinned, he was in a state of untested holiness. But man was given a will. And man chose to disobey God, disobey the commandment not to eat of a certain tree. And because of that, it affected his morality. And every person since then has that passed along to them. So we are sinners by inheritance, but also by choice. There is a volition or will that we have a choice to make. So every person that is born since Adam and Eve, the corporate head of the human race, is born with that nature. It is corrupted to a certain degree. There's an element of morality in everyone because we were created with it. But the natural man, in his uh, unconverted state, before he is born again, has only that corrupt nature, has only that tainted nature. And so we are not perfect, we are not moral as we should be moral as God expected us to be. So man was created with that element of morality, but now that it, it has affected man. And the end result is death physically and spiritually. That's a point a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. So man has been tremendously affected. I'm going to give you a couple of combinations of definitions given from my study. It is a compulsive inner force inherited from man's fall, which expresses itself in general and specific rebellion against God and His righteousness. The flesh can never be reformed or improved. The only hope for escape from the law of the flesh is its total execution and replacement by new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. The flesh is that ego which feels an emptiness and uses the resources in its own power to try to fill it. Flesh is the I that tries to satisfy the me with anything but God's mercy. It's one of those areas where I think we know and understand what the flesh is, but it's difficult to define for someone else to understand. If a person is not saved, they, it's pretty difficult to understand because they don't know the new nature. And there is no battle, there's no struggle. They just follow their own ability and what they have in their own power. So there is such a thing as a desire that God gives every person's created. But apart from God's intervention, that desire is selfish. It is interested in doing what it wants to do and in trying to do it in their own power. When a person is saved, they have a new nature. And that new nature is the one that helps us to live the Christian life. So there is a struggle. You have an old nature, you have a new nature, and there is a war that goes on between the two. So a person before he is saved is technically a slave to his old nature. That's all he can do. So at best, it is some work of the flesh. 
At best, it gives the appearance of, well, a good citizen, a nice person, a generous person, but you cannot say that they are living by the same moral standard that God created man with. That is only possible by the new birth. That doesn't mean, however, that you're saved and your problems are over. It means that now you have a new nature and a conflict, a struggle, a war, if you will, that goes on. Paul said that we are to wage a good warfare. The last statements that he made, he says, I have fought a good fight. And that fight and that struggle is within. It is without by the world and is the influence of Satan, but within it is a struggle of that fallen nature that says, I want to do this. And if you think that you're the only one, you think my problems no one else has, uh, you know, I should be better than what I am, then you're mistaken because we all face it. Every Christian struggles with the flesh. Paul even said, I'm the chief of sinners. Great Christians of the past have made the statement that it has been a battle and a struggle and sometimes they have failed, sometimes they have fallen, and have to get back up again and go forward in the Christian life. So the influence of the flesh, a person becomes a slave to their own nature, fleshly nature. Obeying the flesh always results in breaking the law of God. Scripture states that those who live according to the flesh will experience separation from God in this life and the next. So if all they know is living in their own power, they may be religious, but in their own power, in the flesh, they are not saved and they will spend eternity in hell. So it's important, it is imperative that a person know the Lord, be saved, so that we have this new nature. It means the Holy Spirit comes within and empowers us to live the Christian life. That the, another way it says we are, uh, hindered or affected or influenced by the old nature, it says our understanding is darkened. We don't really have the understanding, spiritual understanding we should have. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And if you just follow your heart, you're probably going to be in big trouble. And we can't just follow our desires of our old nature. Now the interesting thing is we all have God-given desires. That was not all bad. We have a desire for food and we have a desire for pleasure. There, there are certain things that are normal instincts of desire. But apart from God, apart from the new birth, and apart from living in the spirit, those de desires are out of control. They are set or their affection on the wrong things. The mind and the conscience are defiled, Titus 1.15. The flesh and the spirit are defiled. The will is enfeebled. We are weak in the flesh. And we are utterly destitute of any godlike qualities which meet the requirements of God's holiness. So the flesh influences our lives. Living in the flesh is a, a constraint. It is something that controls us. It is a a chain that, uh, that bond, bonds us, that we cannot really live the Christian life. And the consequences are quite clear. Go with me to Ephesians chapter five. 
I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5. We have the contrast of the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. In Galatians 5.19, says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have a picture or some statements that identify what it is to live in the flesh. It's a pretty wicked, vile thing. You know, we pick up the paper and we, or we used to pick up the paper, now we pick up our phone or computer and we look at the news. And in the news it talks about, oh, riots in the street, people vandalizing businesses, murders, someone jogging and someone rapes and murders them. And wow, it's a pretty wicked, vile picture. The flesh is capable of doing anything and everything. And someone might say, oh, well, I would never do any of these things. But that is the end of the fruit of the flesh. That's the consequences of the flesh. And when you look at the world around and you think of the condition we're in today, that is all the result of the flesh and the power of the flesh to control people's lives. Apart from conversion, we cannot be God-like. We cannot be holy. So there is the consequence of living in the flesh. And there's an illustration given. Go with me, since we're close, to Galatians 4. Galatians 4.23. In fact, let me read verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. And this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children." So Abraham was given a promise that he would be the father of a great nation, but it didn't seem like it was going to happen. They were up in age, and his wife was beyond childbearing age, and so they thought, the only way it's going to happen, we'll take the handmaid, and I'll have a, a baby so that I'll be able to fulfill God's law. And they did have uh, a son, Ishmael, but he was a son of the flesh because that was... That was Abraham's thinking. It was uh, Sarah's thinking. This is the answer. This is the solution. I'll do it my way. I'll do it in my own power. And they failed to see the promise of God. So there is a comparison then to the Old and the New Testament. So the law was given. However, man was incapable of living by it. But the only power they had was in the flesh. But there is power through the Spirit when a person is born of God to live 
by the Word of God. Now think about this for a second. Uh, everybody, everybody with me this morning, you're thinking real hard, right? You're Amen. trying to evaluate what's being said. That we are not saved by living by the law. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not in our own power. However, the grace of God enables us to fulfill the law. So it's not as though we're without law. It doesn't mean that we don't follow the Word of God. It doesn't mean we don't follow the commands of God. But when we live by the law, strictly thinking in my own power, where if we fail, we come short. When you're saved and born again, we're no longer constrained by the law because the Holy Spirit enables us to follow the things that are spiritual. So there is a distinction between the two with Hagar and, uh, and, and Sarah, with the two children were born. It's an illustration, an allegory it says, to show us that there is a way of the flesh and then there's a way of promise or the way of the Holy Spirit. And that another consequence is that the, we see death as a result of the influence of the flesh. Romans 6, 16. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So one is a way of death, the other the way of life. It brings corruption, living by the flesh. Be not... Uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reach, reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So there is a corruption that goes along with the flesh. It does not build, it destroys. And it causes division. Paul writing to the church at Corinth made this statement. He said, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. He's writing to true believers, but believers that were carnal living in the flesh. So he challenges them, says, whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions. And are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? So he's describing the battle of the Christian. If you do it in your own power, there's envying and strife and jealousy. If, if, if we came together as a church family, and yet everyone tried to live in the flesh, you know what would be? There would be division. I've got my group and they've got theirs. There's envying. I wish that I had what they have. There's jealousy. You know, I despise that person for that reason. You walk into the church service and someone looks around. They said, I saw the way they looked at me. And you have no idea what they're thinking or, you know, maybe they have a bad day. And we have people living in their own power and they begin to gossip and talk and say things that are not nice, that are hurtful. That's possible. The only way that changes is when people live by the Spirit, Amen. when they walk in the Spirit, when they allow the Spirit to control their lives. That's what brings unity. That's what brings peace. So God's enabled us to have 
some weapons to fight this battle. They are the weapons in the warfare. First of all, the salvation. That's the helmet of salvation described in Ephesians 6. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, but by, nor the will of man, but by God. Salvation is of God. Salvation enters not because you said, I'm going to follow the Christian life. Salvation does not occur by your own power. It's not by your inheritance from your family because they were Christian. It's by a personal experience and relationship where you have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now, if that has not happened, if there's never been a time and place where you have said, today is the day of salvation, if you have not made that profession of faith, if you have not exercised the faith and appropriated what God has done for you in the cross of Calvary, then you don't have the Holy Spirit to enable you. And there's going to be division. There's going to be problems. But it all begins or it all changes the moment you're saved. And I'll tell you, there is emotion. Uh, The the moment you get saved, you feel like, I I don't think I can sin anymore. I'm so happy and just so joyous. And there's such peace in my heart. It's overwhelming. But it doesn't take long. You realize the excitement, the thrill of that experience can wear off. And you can struggle. And you think, whoa, boy, what's wrong with me? And it's, it's frustrating. It's a discouragement. And this flesh still hinders us and, and battles against our spirit. And it's a process then of realizing I am in a battle and I'll continue to be in that battle the rest of my life. And one day, when we, either the rapture occurs or the Lord returns and, uh, or we, we die and go into His presence, then we will be set free. What a day that'll be. You know, I've heard the uh, uh, political statement, I am free indeed. Well, in Christ, we are really free indeed. And our old nature is eradicated, is gone and destroyed. And it'll only be a godly desire. What a day that'll be. But it is not yet. We are here on this earth and constricted to this battle of the, the flesh and the spirit. And that battle goes on and we have to realize that we're going to fight it. And we're going to have some, some scars and wounds. And there, there are going to be days that we feel like we're in a great struggle. That we have to realize that's part of the Christian life. And we have to get back up again and learn to continually come back to yield ourselves so the Holy Spirit empowers us. So we have salvation. Now we have the possibility of victory, the possibility of living in Christ. Another thing we have is protection. And if, go with me to Ephesians. If you're still in Galatians, you're not far away. Galatians, Ephesians, and chapter 6, it describes the spiritual warfare. So verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, that to stand against the wiles or the methods of the devil. So there is this battle that occurs, but God provides protection. He said, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. 
So again, it's not resolution trying to do better. It is God entering in and giving us a victory. It is yielding to Him and His power. He is one we have to be strong in. Strong in the Lord, strong in His power. And then there is a battle for the mind. The flesh is really that desire that comes through our conscience or our mind. In 2 Corinthians, in fact, turn to this as well. Go back just a little bit in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You can't conquer the flesh by the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So there is a battle for the mind. And sometimes there are strongholds that develop in a person's life. There are addictions. You know, we think of uh, drug addiction that goes on today and the, the many, many things that go along with it. And the anger and quarreling and fighting and sinfulness that goes along with it. You know, of alcoholism, sexual addiction, and there are many, many things that fit in that category. So it develops a stronghold. And that stronghold can even be gossip or uh, anger. I mean, there, there are a number of things that fit in that category. It becomes a stronghold. And now to develop, to, to get rid of that, to solve that problem, it is a struggle, but it can only be done through the power of God. God has to be, He is the source of power to gain victory over the flesh. Better not to get into a stronghold, but if you do, we've got to take down that stronghold. The answer is not pills, it's not programs, it's not counseling, and it's not human effort. The answer is found in God. The answer is found in the Spirit. There's a struggle for the, the flesh and the Spirit. And the only answer is walking in the Spirit. Now, I wish that you could come visit me and you come to my office and you say, Pastor's got all the answers. And I, you sit down, we're in, we're in council, and, and they say, Now, Pastor, I have this problem. It's a stronghold in my life. Can you give me a quick answer? Can you solve this problem? The unfortunate truth is, no. I can't solve the problem. God has to solve the problem. The answer is not in the word of counsel. It's not in continual counsel. You can't go to a doctor and say, can you give me a blue pill or a red pill uh, that will solve my problem? No, that, that does not solve the problem. We have to realize that, that it is a spiritual answer. And as we learn to yield through the Holy Spirit, see if you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives within and it's yielding to God so that God can give the victory. Only God can do that. So there is no solution. Stop looking. Stop wasting your money. You have to realize, let's get in the book and yield ourselves to God. And therein is the answer Amen. to living in the power of the Spirit. Amen. That's how we solve the problem. So we are to walk in the Spirit. We are to pray in the Spirit. We are to live in the Spirit. 
It's through the Spirit of God that we have the answer. Mark 14, 38, Jesus said, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter in temptation. The Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Yielding to God means that we are to yield our members as servants to uncleanness, to iniquity and iniquity. That's the way we are. But we yield our members as servants to righteousness and holiness. So that seems contrary because the flesh thinks I've got to solve the problem. The flesh says I'll reach God by all these different creeds and uh, by pilgrimage, by getting baptized. But no, it's through yielding to God. It is through God, through the Holy Spirit that we are enabled. Yielding is how we have the answer, not fighting. It is not effort. It is yielding. As God speaks to your heart, you yield to Him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything to save myself. I ask you to save me. Lord, I can't overcome this problem. I need your help. And we yield to Him. He gives the answer. So the flesh cannot be improved. It must be crucified. In Galatians 5.24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. In Colossians, it uses a word we're familiar with. Mortify, therefore, uh, your members. The, the, the word mortify is the root of our word mortician. You put to death the embalmment. You get rid of it. We put to death the members uh, of our own body here on this earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So there is a crucifixion of the flesh. Put it to death. Don't improve it. Don't through effort try to make it better. Don't reform it. You crucify it. Put it to death. I have no part in it. You tear it down. The idea of fortifying or, uh, you know, there's a, 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 it talks about building a wall around our sin. It's like we, you know, Fort Knox is where they supposedly have all this gold. And they have barriers, they have cameras, they have uh, guards, and, you know, one thing after another to another that went by Getting into the actual safe where the gold is at is near impossibility. But sometimes we can guard our sin in the same way. We have to tear down all those walls and fortifications and protection. We come clean and say, God, I need you to give me victory. Another means of God giving us victory is through chastisement. Hebrews chapter 12. He will chastise those whom he loves. If you're a child of God, he will take you through some things. You know that when he humbles us, that enables us to trust and rely on him. When we fail, that recognizes, you know, I don't have the ability. We, we think we can, but yet we can't. And we recognize that it turns us to God. And then there is imputation. He imputes the Christ within us. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the Lord thereof. Instead, put on Christ. 
So we put off the old, we put on the new. There's a replacement of the way we lived before. This is how we live now. So we have to implement right thinking. Philippians 4, 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So we have things enter our mind. There are things that will tear down our walk with God. They will hinder our walk. They bring about sin. We, we cannot think on those things. We cannot look at those things. And right thinking uh, gives the opportunity for right living. So it is important that what enters the mind, we must replace those evil thoughts with God's thoughts. Amen. So you come to church, we sing songs. Now, now for somebody who probably has never been to church of any kind, that would be uh, something to get their attention. Wow, they sing a lot of songs. You know, out in the world, people don't sing the same way. You come to church, we sing a lot of songs. And a lot of them are repeating their, their affirmations of the, uh, Christian doctrine. But we do it because it builds and strengthens us. The music, very, very important. We read from the Bible. Okay, there, there are all kinds of illustrations. Years ago, it was common that preachers would take something out of Reader's Digest and they would, the sermon would be based on Reader's Digest. You know, I got news for you. The Bible's a better plan. Amen. And there are all kinds of things out here in the world that, that people can do. But the Bible fills our mind with truth, with things that are right, the things that are holy. It comforts, it guides, it directs. All the influence through the preaching of the Word of God has an impact on your life. Now, I realize uh, there's a certain tolerance that, you know, you hear a lot of sermons. If you come Sunday, to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I mean, there's like 250 sermons a year that you would hear. I preached over 10,000 sermons. My wife's had to listen to all those 10,000 sermons. And... You know, I, since I'm preaching most of the time, I don't get to hear sermons, but I listen to other sermons. And, you know, it used to be on a cassette tape years ago. That was a big deal. You get a cassette tape of preaching and listen to preaching. And of course, now you can do it through the Internet, through live streaming, and there's all kinds of ways. And there are meetings that I go to and I hear preaching. But there's something about the preaching of the gospel that God's anointed that. It's through the preaching of the Word of God that lives are changed. And the accumulation uh, sometimes people say, you know, we'd like to have a Bible study. Could you have a Bible study? Yeah, we have one every service. Amen. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. We have Bible studies all the time. Well, uh, that, that wasn't what I meant. Well, you, what you meant was you want to sit around a group of seven or eight people and everybody give their own opinion about what they think. Amen. There's something different about me, meeting together, the commitment to be at church, and to say, we're going to... We're going to hear the Word of God. And there, there is something about it that has an impact on people's lives. So what we hear influences our thinking. It enters the mind. And we have to have the right reading. Uh, Joshua 1.8, it's a well-known verse in Scripture, says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
Now, if you start memorizing Scripture and you come to church often enough, you hear Scripture, what's going to happen? There's going to be times you just, it just pops into your mind. You know, it, it has an impact on your life. And you think, wait a minute, this is what the Bible says. Here's what I ought to be doing. I ought to be following the Bible, reading the right things and being, uh, avoid reading the wrong things. You know, there's a lot of stuff you can read today. It may not even be sinful. It's just you're reading about the stuff that's unnecessary. It's not needed. It, and, it, and it can just wear you down. You, you read about all the news that's going on in the world, and, and it can just wear you down. It's like, what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? You know, and we become frantic. But you read the Bible, and there's comfort. God's in control. Isaiah 6 said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on His throne. He's still on the throne. When you get into the Scripture, it's comforting, it's helpful. And listening to the right music. Christian songs soothe the soul. They don't pander to the flesh. They soothe the soul. They speak to the heart. The right praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We get on our knees. It's a picture of humility. We, it's a recognition that we need Him. We need His help. We need His intervention. And the right service. You know, we, uh, brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve one another. And when we serve out of love, when we serve out of uh, love for God and love for our, God's people and fellow man, there's something about it that has a positive influence. You know, if we always want God, why don't you give me this? I want what they have. Or you look at the government and say, they owe me this. But when you begin serving and doing for others, and Jesus made the statement, he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Amen. And it's a true statement. You, you start serving others, and it brings joy and happiness and peace into a person's life. And then the right influences. In the book of Proverbs, it a statement that some people have taken to start a whole uh, series of conferences. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. If you're around the wrong people, they prompt us to do wrong. If you're around the right people, they then challenge us to do the right thing. I mean, there's some people, you just enter their presence and you think, boy, that, that's having an impact on my life. You know, I, I'd be careful what I say around them. There's the right influence of the right people. The flesh has to be crucified. The ego, the I, has to be crucified. The me has to be crucified. And it must be, it is Christ in me. It is Christ living in me. It is a Christ life. So the spirit produces fruit. And you go back to Galatians again, chapter 5. Talked about the fruit of the flesh, or the influence of the flesh. It also talks about the influence of the Spirit. So verse 22 it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are in Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections thereof. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 
Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. We walk in the spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In James 1.13 it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, and he is drawn away of his own lust, and is enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh is limited. What good we can do in our own power is never going to succeed in fulfilling the will of God. It always comes short. We have to walk in the spirit. Therein is the battle for all of us. There was a a Bible student that I remember in Bible college that he came from Brother Roloff's home. Brother Roloff had a home and, uh, for girls and for guys. And he sent several people to my Bible college. They got their lives straightened out, but they'd been drug addicts and just rebellious and some of them in trouble with the law. Some he went to uh, court with them and the judge gave them co- uh, access to them that they could bring them to their homes. So he had a tremendous work, you know, an amazing work. And one of the men was a man named Danny Kent. He was a little bit older, maybe he was in his 20s as opposed to someone just out of high school. But I mean, he, he had the look of an evangelist, you know, he had a sharp suit and tie, and his hair is combed back, and he, he just had all the look and he could preach. I mean, he was, you know, you felt like he's on fire, this guy. And I remember about 10 years after I got word that he had committed suicide. And you just think, what in the world happened? And I don't know what happened. I know what his background was. And I know that the problem that often is associated with something like that is there's such discouragement over failure there's, that, that a person gets so depressed because they have failed in living a spiritual life and they can't live with themselves anymore and take their own life. That's pretty extreme. But it also explains to us the power of the flesh to ruin our lives and destroy our lives. And you can't allow that to happen. You have to realize we've got to be in the battle. We've got to be aware of the battle. Get in the book, be faithful in church. You, know, you have to know that you're saved or you have no battle. You're just living in the flesh. It's all a matter of are we going to walk in the spirit? Are we going to walk in the flesh? You have an old nature and a new nature. Which one are you feeding the most? Which one are you feeding? Whichever one that is will be the strongest in your life. So we don't need fewer services. We don't need less church. We don't need less Bible reading. We need more. Because the more we feed the Spirit the more it crowds out any room for the flesh. Let's bow for prayer this morning.